Thank you, C12. How are we doing tonight? You guys good? Sweet. Well, hey, like you said, for those of you who haven't had the pleasure of meeting yet, I am Cameron Glasper, uh, one of the worship pastors here, and I am beyond pumped, seriously, to be here with you guys tonight. Um, I appreciate you guys having me. Um, if this is your first time here, yes, Austin will be back. No worries. Please don't hold this ministry responsible for anything I may say or do tonight. Uh, your leader will be back soon, okay? Uh, so in this series, we've been talking about God dreams, right? In the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about God dreams. Um, specifically that we all, first of all, as followers of Christ, we have God dreams. We have this dream that is universal to all of us. As followers of Jesus, we're called to love and serve one another with passion, compassion, to give ourselves away, right? To be the church, to make disciples, to advance the kingdom of God. But we've been talking specifically um, that we all each individually have a God dream and a purpose on our lives and the things that come with those uh, dreams, like obstacles, like rejection or, or fear or temptation, all these things we've been talking about. And now we've been looking at the life of Joseph, right? We've been looking at a snapshot of the life of Joseph uh, for a certain span of his life. Um, and so to catch you guys up, if you haven't been here or just to recap in general, this is where we've been, okay? So we've been talking about Joseph Joseph is, is 17 years old. He's, he's pasturing the flock he, with his brothers. He's a, a shepherd boy. And he's, he's pasturing the flock, and he gets a dream from God. Okay? Now, in this dream was very detailed, very detailed dream that he got. Now, in his, either his excitement or his ignorance, he goes to his brothers and tells them the dream. And the dream was this. Hey, guys, I don't really know how else to say this. But at some point, you guys are going to be bowing at my feet, okay? I don't really know. I'm sorry if that's awkward, but I just saw vividly God told me that you guys are going to be kissing my Birkenstocks, right? It's going, to, it's going to happen. I don't really know what else to do with this information. You do with it what you will, but that's the dream, okay? Now, naturally, his brothers don't like this dream. They spite this dream. They hate this dream so much so they said, you know what? We got to get rid of this dude. We got to kill this dude and get rid of him because there's no way I'm kissing that boy's uh, Birkenstocks. It's not happening, right? And then they say, you know what? No, 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 we're not going to kill him. It's no um, advance for us to kill him. It doesn't make anything better for us to kill him. So what we can do, what we will do is, hey, let's fake his death. Let's sell him to slavery. Tell, tell our dad, hey, he died, okay? Now, you talk about a dysfunctional family, right? You think your family is jacked up? You think your family is crazy? Has anybody in your family faked your death and sold you to slavery? No, I don't think so. Like, these people are crazy. But this is what happens, okay? So he's, he's now in slavery, right? Now, a guy by the name of Potiphar, he's an officer for Pharaoh. He buys Joseph, and he brings him to his house. Now, the favor of the Lord was on Joseph, and so Potiphar makes him an officer in his house, an overseer of his house, right? So he's in the palace, and he's in his house. Now, Austin last week covered that sometimes with our God dreams, one of the things that we're going to face or we're going to have to deal with is temptation. And that temptation for Joseph came in the form of Potiphar's wife. Now, I don't know how else to say this, but Potiphar's wife, she wanted Joseph, okay? She, I don't, she was in heat. I don't know what else to say about it. She, she, wanted, she wanted Joseph bad. She made so many advances to Joseph. She's like, hey, come with me. Every time she saw him, she was like, sleep with me. Hey, you, yes, sleep with me, please. Like she was, I mean, she was crazy, right? 
And every time Joseph would deny her advances, he, I mean, literally, he was like, you know what? I'm good, love. Enjoy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, for those of you who didn't get that, ask the ones who did, and later you can laugh about it. But every time that she made an advance at him, he was like, no, love, I'm good. You, you, you go on about your business, right? And so Joseph would time and time again deny Potiphar's wife of her advances, and she had enough of it. So one day she corners him, right? If you remember in the story, she corners him and is like, sleep with me now. Joseph ran. He, he fled as fast as he possibly could, left his coat behind her, right? So she takes it. She goes to her husband, and she lies. She lies to him. She says, you know what? That slave that you brought in this house tried to get with me. He tried to sleep with me. Here's the proof. I screamed, and he left his jacket, right? Now, Potiphar is obviously upset, obviously angry. So what does he do? He throws Joseph in prison, okay? And this is where we're going to pick up today. Joseph is now in prison, but he's in prison for doing the right thing. Like, has anybody, show of hands, like gotten in trouble for trying to do the right thing? Not Okay, good. It's not just me. Or that you try to do the right thing and you end up like doing more harm than good. Like, has that ever happened? Okay. So for me, I remember like, that's probably like a spiritual gift for me. That's something I do often. Um, but I remember specifically when I was a kid, like me and my younger brother, we, before my family bought their first home, we lived in this apartment complex, right? Now, it's this huge apartment complex with lots of kids, which means lots of friends. Like, we would play from sunup to sundown, you know, things kids don't do anymore at all. Like, we would ride bikes, play, play football, play basketball, play tag. I mean, you name it, we played it, right? So, in this complex, our best friend at the time was a guy named Michael. Okay, now Michael was pretty much just like our family. Like his family was just like ours. Like his dad was a pastor. His, he was raised in church. They had Christian values. Like we had the same values as, as, you know, their family. So my parents never made a fuss about me hanging out with Michael, right? We would play literally all day. Now, on this specific day, we, me and my younger brother, we come to Michael's house. We knock on his door and we want to know if he can come outside to play, right? His mom opens the door and she's like, I'm sorry, boys. Mike can't play today. I'm like, why? What's going on? Well, he didn't do something he was supposed to do. Every morning, he's supposed to take his trash from the front step, take it to the top of the complex for the trash compactor. He didn't do that today because he was too busy playing his video games, and so he can't come outside today. Sorry. I'm like, dang, bum. So she's closing the door, and we're, like, looking, and Mike's, like, peeking behind her. He's like, I'm so, I'm so. And we're like, I got you, bro. I got you. We going to get you out of here, dog. We going to get you out, you know? Free my boy Mike. Like, we made shirts. Like, <laughs> free Mike. No, no. Uh, but <laughs> so <laughs> she closes the door, and obviously we're like, dang, man, we were going to play with Mike, man. What are we going to do? And so I came up with this brilliant idea. I said, you know what? The problem is Mike didn't take out his trash. That's why he can't come outside. So if we take his trash, his mom going to be like, oh, the trash is gone. It won't be a problem anymore. Then Mike can come play. We're going to be his hero. He's going to owe us his life. Like, at least three Pokemon cards. You know what I mean? Like, at least three each. Like, we get, we're going to be his hero, man. We're gonna, and so that's what we set out to do. Now, like I said, Mike's apartment was in the back of the complex, right? Okay. So, me and my brother, we get the bags, and we start making our way up this long hill to the top of the complex where the trash compactor is, okay? So we're making our way. Now we get about halfway up, right? And these bags are getting heavy. So you, you know you try to like rearrange the weight. So we try to put it over our shoulder and we're walking up. We make a little bit more progress. That didn't work. And we go back to holding them like this and, and then that didn't work. And so then I had the idea. I was like, man, you know what? What we should do? We should just drag it. Let's just drag it. Okay, see, you've done this before. Okay, cool. Um, 
So let's just drag it, man. It'd be easy. We're halfway up, bro. I can see, I can see the compactor. We're almost there. So that's what we do. So we're dragging it. We're going, we're like, man, this is easy, bro. I got, I got you, man. We're going to bust Mike out, man. We're going to free him. It's going to be great. So we get up to the top, right, where the trash compactor is. I go to throw, I, I go to throw the bag into the dump, right? As I do that, all the trash whizzes past my face. And I'm like, that's odd. Um, pretty sure it was in the bag when I was dragging it up. Um, and so me and my brother both turn around and we were like, huh, Lord Jesus. Like it was literally from the time we started dragging it, it was a trail of trash all the way up the road leading up to the compactor. Now we're in frantic mode. So like we were running down, like trying to grab all the trash. It was like the like worst version of Hungry Hippo you've ever seen in your life. Like we're just trying to shuffle it in. People are driving by, laughing, pointing, like, what are you guys doing? Like you guys are idiots. And we were, we definitely were. Now in the middle of us trying to like frantically clean this up, Guess who pulls up? My mom, okay? And she caught me in like mid-pick. So like I'm, she's driving by and I'm like, oh, this don't look good. And she's like, what are you two fools doing out here? And why is trash all over the place? And we're like, well, see what, see what had happened was like Mike, he couldn't come outside. And we was like, why you can't come outside? And he was like, because I ain't take the trash. And so we was like, well, we'll take the trash for you. And we were trying to do it and hook him up so we could bust Mike out of prison. Um, that's pretty much it. And my mom was like, you don't even take your own trash. What are you doing? Get in the house. So now Mike and we can't come outside. Like both of us are in lockdown because we did something stupid, right? And that's like the reality sometimes for all of us. We all just kind of do stuff stupid. We try to do the right thing, but it doesn't go our way. And this is right now, this is Joseph's reality. He's in prison. He's doing the right thing, but he's in prison. And I imagine he's probably like, you know what, God? Why can't I catch a break, man? Like, I'm trying to do the right thing. You've given me a dream. I'm trying to pursue that dream, and I'm trying to do it the right way, but I, I'm in prison right now. Like, I am stuck on the way to this dream. Like, I don't, I don't understand what the problem is. And maybe we all can identify with that. Maybe not the whole, like, being thrown in prison for trying to do the right thing, but maybe we can identify with having a dream from God having a purpose for God, having a calling for God that we firmly believe in, and we're trying to go about it the right way, but we keep hitting roadblocks, and we keep getting told no, and we're trying to do the right things, but we keep getting the wrong results because of it, and we don't know really what to make of it. See, that's Joseph's reality right now. He's in a place where he's in prison. He's basically forgotten. He feels forgotten, and he's in a place where he's like, I'm in this season of obscurity where nobody knows me. I'm forgotten. I'm trying to do the right thing, but I'm in prison. And this is what we're going to pick up in the story, okay? So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter 40. Now that's page 42 in these Bibles under your seat. Now we're going to try to cover a lot of ground. So we're going to try to like wrap this story up. So I'm going to jump around a little bit, chapter to chapter. Just bear with me. We're not going to read all the chapters that are involved in this story. But we will jump around. But I'm going to start in chapter 40, okay? So here's the deal. Joseph, he's in prison, right? He's in prison for doing the right thing, which is denying Potiphar's wife for advances. He's in prison. And now, for whatever reason, he's found favor with God again. And the warden of the prison has put him in charge of all the prisoners. He's like, I want you to watch over these prisoners. I want you to, to attend to them and watch over these prisoners. And this is where we pick up in, in uh, ver- uh, chapter 40, verse 1. Okay? So it says, sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker, the king of Egypt, offended their master. The king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with this. Two officials, the cupbearer and the baker. He put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. 
In the same prison where Joseph was confined, the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended to them. And they had been in custody for some time. Each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night. And each dream had a different meaning of its own. And when Joseph came into them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials, who were in custody with him, why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but no one is able to interpret them. And then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So I'll stop there. So the cupbearer and the, and the baker, they go on to tell Joseph their dreams, the dreams that they can't understand. And Joseph interprets them for them. He said, basically, it's like this. In three days, you guys are going to get out of here. And you're going to be, especially talking to the cupbearer, he says, you're going to be restored back to Pharaoh. You're going to go back to doing the exact same thing that you were doing before you were in prison. In three days, you're going to bust out of here. But since I helped you, I need you to do something for me. And this is where we pick up in uh, chapter, uh, verse, I'm sorry, 14. He says, but remember me in your kindness. When all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. So Joseph helps the man. He helps the cupbearer realize his dream and understand what the dream means. And he says, hey, I have one stipulation. Once you get out of here, mention me to Pharaoh. I've done nothing to deserve being in here. Get me out. And so they agree. But then verse 23 of that same chapter says this. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Wait, what? Like, they literally, they were in there for three more days, not three years, not three months. But as soon as the cupbearer took one step out of the prison, he was like, what was that dude's name again? What is it, Jesse? Jonathan? Uh, Jeffrey? I don't, I don't know. But, but anyway, we're out. Let's go turn it up. You know what I mean? Like, we're out. We're free. He totally forgot him as soon as he got out of the prison. Like, can you imagine this? You're Joseph. You're trying to do the right thing. You end up in slavery. You end up in the palace. You try to do the right thing. You end up in prison. You try to do the right thing in prison, you're helping people, trying to realize their dreams, and now you've been forgotten once again. The Bible says that he would go on to spend two more years, two, in that prison. He's having dreams. I mean, Pharaoh's having dreams now, and so now the thing kind of turns. Because the only reason that this story gets better is because now Pharaoh himself has dreams that no one can interpret. So Pharaoh's going through his house. He's going through his palace. He's angry with everybody. He's mad with everybody. He's frustrated. He's annoyed because he has his dreams now that he, he himself, cannot interpret. And this is two years later. And that same cupbearer goes, oh, yeah, I remember a dude that helped me when I was in prison. You remember you put me in prison. No offense. I love it. I love it that I'm out. Thank you. Um, but you put me in prison. And now, like, there was a guy who interpreted my dreams. And maybe, maybe he can help you. So Pharaoh says, okay, what? I'll send for him. And that's what he does. He sends for Joseph. He brings him in, and he tells him his dream. Now, Joseph goes on to interpret this dream. But first, when he talks to Pharaoh, they get, you know, they get Joseph all cleaned up. They bring him in, and Pharaoh's like, hey, I heard you can interpret dreams. And, and, and Joseph's like, I, I can't do it. I can't interpret dreams. But God will give you the answers that you're looking for. So Pharaoh says, okay, fair enough. This is my dream. And he tells him his dream. Now, Joseph goes on to interpret that dream. He says, this is what your dream means. You're going to have seven years, seven years of abundance, seven years of overflow. The land, the crops, the food, everything. You're going to have seven years of this overflow. But 
It's going to be followed by seven years of famine. Seven years of nothing. And so Pharaoh's like, obviously, he's scared. He's worried. He's like, what are we going to do? So they devised this plan to say, you know what? In this seven years of overflow, what we're going to do is we're going to store up all the food, all the overflow food. We're going to store it up so that when the seven years of famine comes, we'll have food and we won't be wanting for anything. And so Pharaoh is so impressed, so thankful, so grateful to Joseph. He says, you know what? I'm going to put you second in command only to myself. You're going to be the ruler. You're going to be the man over this whole land of Egypt. Now, the Bible says that at that time, Joseph was 30 years old. Now, remember, when did we start this story? How old was Joseph? 17. 17, and now he is 30. So for 13 years, Joseph is walking around with this God dream. He went from dreaming in the pasture, right, to being thrown in a pit, to going to the palace, to being sent to prison, now back to the palace. Thirteen years. And I can imagine, in that 13 years, Joseph probably felt forgotten. Wouldn't you agree? I think that's an accurate assumption. He probably felt forgotten by God. He probably felt that God abandoned him, that God didn't care for him, that God wasn't looking out for him, that he wasn't watching over him. See, the end of the story is that the dream came true. See, Joseph would, would interpret this dream, be put in charge of Egypt, and sooner or later, his brothers would come knocking, not knowing who he was, but they would come to him, begging him for food in the seven years of famine, and they would bow at his feet and beg him. So the dream came true, but it took 13 years for this dream to happen. And I can imagine him feeling a little bit forgotten in those 13 years, a little bit of like I'm in this obscurity season and nobody remembers me. God give me this dream and I'm trying to follow it. I'm trying to walk step by step. I'm taking two steps forward and then getting knocked three steps back for 13 years. Now, maybe you, maybe you are in a position right now where you feel like you've been given a dream by God. You feel like God is giving you a calling, a purpose, a passion based on your gifts, your talents, your abilities, whatever it is. You feel like you have a call in your life, and now you're just in this waiting period. You're trying to do all the right things. You're taking all the right steps. You're trying to make sure that you're, you know, you're dotting your I's and crossing your T's, but for whatever reason, you just keep getting knocked back. And you thought, man, God, I thought I had a dream. I thought we had an understanding here. I thought we understood each other. I'm following you, but now I'm just in this season of obscurity, and I don't, I don't really know what to do, but I want to encourage you right now that if you feel that way, if you feel that you are in a season of obscurity, this is what I want you to understand, and this is what I want us all to know about obscurity. If you're taking notes, you can write this down, that obscurity is not God punishing you. It's him preparing you. He hasn't forgotten you. He's forming things in you. So he's not punishing you, he's preparing you, he has not forgotten you, he's forming things in you. See, there is a purpose for your life. God created you for a purpose, on purpose, and he has a purpose and an intention for everything, including our waiting. And sometimes that's hard to understand. Sometimes that's hard to believe that in this waiting for this thing that we know that God wants to do for us, we can see it on the horizon, but we can't quite get to it. We can smell it, we can taste it, but we're still waiting And it's hard to feel like God is on our side. It's hard to feel like he's not punishing us in this waiting, but God has an intention for it. And if we trust him, we'll understand that purpose, that his silence, even if he seems silent, he's not absent. He's very much here. He's very much near. He's very much in control. And there's a purpose for everything, even our waiting. 
We have to know this. And I know it's not always easy because maybe right now you're in this job that has nothing to do with your passion. Maybe you're in a situation where you're nowhere near what God has called you into or that you feel that God has for you. And it's miserable. And you feel like you're in somewhat of a prison. You're in this holding cell, this, this waiting area, waiting for your freedom, waiting to be released into the dream that God has for you. And you feel forgotten. But please hear me. God has not forgotten you. He's forming things in you. And he was forming things in Joseph. And when I think about what he was forming in Joseph, I think there are two things we can take away from what he was possibly forming in Joseph and what I believe he's forming in all of us as we wait for these dreams. As we believe in this God dream and as we're in this waiting period, this obscurity, so to speak, I believe he's trying to form two, at least two things in us. The first would be humility. And the second would be dependence. Humility and dependence. Let's talk about humility for a second. See, right before Joseph was thrown in prison, he was where? In the palace. He was an officer of Potiphar. Potiphar was an officer of Pharaoh, and he was there. He was rising up the ranks. Even though he was enslaved, he was rising up to the top, and now he gets thrown in prison. Now, he could have chosen in that moment to mope, to sulk, to cry, to whine, to complain, to say, you know what? I don't belong here. I don't belong around these people. You guys are the prisoners, not me. I've done nothing wrong, and I'm going to do nothing for anybody. No one asks me for any kind of favor. No one asks me for anything. I'm just going to be here and bide my time until I get out of here. But that's not what Joseph did. It says that Joseph, while he was waiting, he attended to the other prisoners. See, it takes more intentionality to attend to something. You're not just watching something or babysitting something. See, I attend to my kids. That means I'm caring for my kids. I'm paying attention to the things that they want and the things that they need. And this is what Joseph was doing while he was waiting. A total of three years almost in prison, he was attending to prisoners around him. He was caring for people around him. See, hear me when I say this. Sometimes walking in real humility is helping others reach their dream even when you're waiting on yours. It takes real humility to do that. It takes real trust in who God is and what he has for you, that you can help someone else. You can pull someone else up even when you yourself are in a waiting or a holding pattern or a prison, so to speak. It takes real humility to do that. And I think that's what God is calling us all to. Because humility is remembering this. My life, your life, is not yours. You've been bought with a price. The blood of Jesus Christ has bought your life, and your life is not yours. Your story is ultimately for his glory. We've been bought with a price. We're called to live sin. We're called to serve others around us, and no matter what circumstance we may be in, that calling still stands. We're called to love those around us, but it takes real humility. It takes real trust that we're not our own. And even if you're not where you want to be, You're where God called you to be. And we have to trust him and believe him that this dream that he set for us, he has a purpose in the waiting, and he's going to bring it to us. He's going to show us step by step, but we have to trust and we have to walk in humility. Joseph understood this. The second thing, dependence. If you remember in the story, each time he was asked to interpret a dream, they said, hey, I heard you can interpret dreams. Joseph would say, it's not me. It's God. God is able to do this. 
I'm just being used. That's what dependence is. See, having dependence on God means that we're going to trust him, that he has the power. He has the ability to change all outcomes. Yes, we have free will. Yes, we can determine our own obedience. Yes, we can determine um, our actions. We can do all of those things, but he orders our steps. God orders our steps. And Joseph knew this. He would walk in dependence because he knew that God had the power to change the outcome. It wasn't on him. It was simply on God. You know what I think? I think much of our anxiety in the waiting season of our lives is because we forget who's in control. Now, hear me. I'm not making little of anxiety because it is a real thing. I have family members. I have friends who all suffer with this thing. So I'm not making little about anxiety. But what I am saying that at the root of anxiety is the desire to control. And when things rise up around us and things start to get out of our control, we want to panic. That anxiety wants to creep in. The enemy wants to come in and lie to you and tell you that you're not going to make it, tell you that you're never going to be anything, that God lied to you, that he's not for you, that his heart is not for you, that you shouldn't trust God, you shouldn't trust or believe in any promise. But if we surrender control, what we realize is we actually gain control. We actually gain power by releasing power to the one who has all control. That's what dependence looks like. And maybe you're in a situation right now where anxiety is crippling you. It is literally choking out the life of you. And you're afraid. You're afraid of everything that comes up because you don't trust and you don't believe that God has control. But I'm here to tell you that we are not at the mercy of our circumstances. We are at the mercy of a loving father, a God who loves us, who died for, sent his son to die for us. And we are at the mercy of him. And he, he has called all of us to be more than conquerors. We are not at the mercy of our circumstances. Our circumstances do not define us. God defines us. And I want you to be encouraged with that. And if you don't believe it, look to the word of God. Time and time again, every story in the Bible, there has been someone who's been in a waiting period. Someone who has a promise from God, a calling on their lives, but they have been waiting year after year after year. Failure after failure, heartbreak after heartbreak, boundary after boundary, no after no. But when they persevere by faith, when they trust God, when they walk in humility and they walk in dependence that, that God's heart is for them, they get to see the promise come forth. And that's an inspiration for all of us. See, Joseph wasn't the only one who had to wait in obscurity. He wasn't. You know what I think of when I think of really waiting in obscurity? I think of Jesus. I mean, you want to talk about a God dream? You want to talk about an ultimate God dream, an ultimate calling, an ultimate purpose? That's Jesus. Jesus came to this earth and waited 30 years in obscurity, waiting to live out the promise that God had given him. He walked in humility. He walked in dependence. And ultimately, he won on our behalf. He won over sin and death and shame and all these things that we allow to continue to, to cripple us. He's already won the battle for those things. Look to Jesus when you feel like you're in a season where nobody remembers you, where you've been forgotten and that the promise will never come. Remember Jesus, how he waited in obscurity for 30 years, waiting and then winning, walking in that purpose, walking in the dream that God called for him. See, it's not easy. I get that it's not easy because um, life is not easy. We're in these situations, man, where we just, 
we feel like we're going through the motions. Like, God, I know that that's my dream there. I know that that's what you call me to right there. But why am I over here? Can I just get to that? I see it. I taste it. Why? I, I can smell it. Why can't I just get over here? It doesn't make any sense for me to be over here. And we all feel like that because the reality is this. It's not in our nature to wait. If we're honest with ourselves, we don't like waiting. We don't like waiting. We want what we want right now. That's the reality of all of us. We're not waiters by nature, but God is calling us to wait. A perfect snapshot of this for me is my daughter, Ava. And Jared, you can come on up. I'm going to close here in a second. Perfect snapshot of this is my daughter, Ava. Now, she is cute as a button, right? But she is 25 pounds of pure sass, pure attitude. That girl is crazy, okay? Now, my daughter, she's 18 months old. And I love my daughter. But when she wants her milk, she doesn't want it now. She wants it right now. Like, right now, it's urgent. I'm about to lose my mind in this high chair if you don't bring me my milk stat, okay? And so my job is I get the milk out, and I get her sippy cup out, and I'm like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you some milk. Okay, I don't know how many of you, probably none of you in here are parents yet. Hallelujah, praise God, you're probably saying. Um, but... It's like five steps to put together a sippy cup these days. I don't understand. Like, it's not just a top and a bottom. Oh, no, that's not the case anymore. It's a top, and then it's something that goes under the top, like a spill-proof thing, and then it's some plastic thing that goes under that, and then it's a straw that connects to that, and then you have the bottom. It takes literally five steps to put these cups together. And I'm losing my mind while she's losing her mind because she wants what she wants right now. She literally can see it, and all she can see is I'm not giving it to her. And I'm like, girl, I, I got you. Just give me a second. I, I Look at me. I'm literally doing it. Just look at me. I'm trying to get it for you. And it's so funny where God gives you revelation because God said to me in those moments, you're just like your daughter. What do you realize? You want what you want. You want it right now. But see, here's the reality. <laughs> if I were to give my daughter that cup when she wanted it, or when she thought she deserved it, and I haven't fully prepared it the way I wanted to prepare it, and the way that it needed to be prepared so that it's perfect for her, you know what would happen? She'd make a mess. If I gave her what she wanted when she thought she needed it or when she thought she deserved it, she would make a mess. But see, I have to take time as her father, knowing what's best for her. I have to prepare this thing the right way. I got to put it in order so that when I give it to her, she can enjoy it. You see, but that's just like us. We want to take control matters into our own hands. And we don't want to trust God. We don't want to wait, God. But I'm encouraging you tonight that you can trust in your Father. Because even when it looks like he's silent, he is not absent. And even when you can't see his hand moving and preparing this thing for you, you have to trust his heart. And his heart is for you. He said he loves you. So much so that I sent my son to die for you. And I've given you a purpose. I've given you my name. How can I not give you a purpose? You have a calling and a plan on your life, but you have to trust me. Even when you're waiting, even when it seems like there's no hope, you have to trust me. Just trust that I am preparing this thing for you. And when I hand it to you, it's going to be perfect. <clears throat> See, trust in God. God is inviting us into a deeper relationship with him that's built on trust. Because if you don't have trust, how deep is your relationship with anybody, anything? Am I right? If you don't have trust in a relationship, you don't really have a relationship. And God is inviting us to trust him. And when we do, we find deeper pleasure in who he is. 
And that very thing that we're waiting for, that very thing that we feel like we deserve, now we're in a position to actually receive it and receive it the right way. So the man's going to come up. And um, before we wrap this up, I kind of, I felt God talking to me. He wanted me to talk to a specific group. Um, right before, actually, we went on, I felt that God was telling me that there may be some of you who say, you know what, Cameron, I'm not really in a season of obscurity. I honestly don't even know what my God dream is. But it doesn't really matter because you're so afraid to even take a step, to even realize what that dream is. And I don't know if it's because of fear. I don't know if it's because of shame or doubt from your past that you feel so crippled that you can't even take a step forward to even know that there's a dream or a purpose for your life. But what I want to encourage you and what I feel that God would say to you is he's calling you out of that fear right now. He's calling you out of that shame right now. He's calling you out of that condemnation right now because he says, I love you. I've already paid the price for that sin, for that chain that you keep trying to pick up. I love you and I sent my son to die for you. Now come Live for me. Live with me. I have a plan for you. Don't listen to the lies. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. Focus on me. And you keep walking towards me. And you're going to realize this dream that I have for you. You're going to realize my love for you. And I don't know who that is. I really don't. But I, I do believe that there's someone in here that is struggling with shame. Specifically struggling with fear and doubt. Anxiety because of their past. And God wants to do away with that tonight. I believe that in my soul that God wants to do away with that tonight. He wants to deliver you from that tonight. And so the band's going to lead us in worship. And I'm going to invite you, whoever you are, if that's you, if you know that that's you, it's time to come do business with God. Make this place right here your altar. And as the band sings over you, you give back that thing to God. You give back that anxiety. You give back that fear. You give back that shame. You give back that pain, that hurt, that doubt that you feel is keeping you or that disqualifies you from a life with God, and you leave it right here. I'm going to pray over us, and then the band's going to lead us. So, Father, we thank you. God, we just praise you, God, for who you are and what you've done, God. We praise you because you have called us to a life not just about you, God, but with you. God, and in this season, God, sometimes, God, you have called us to wait. You have called us to be in places where our dream is on the horizon, God, but we're just not quite ready for it, God. And in those moments, God, we ask you for your grace to help us to trust you, to help us to lean into who you are, to know the word of God, to know the promises of God for ourselves so that we can stand firm, God, on your foundation. And God, right now in this place, I pray and bind the spirit of fear. I bind the spirit of condemnation of shame and guilt, God, that is keeping your people from realizing their full potential. That is keeping them from stepping out, God, because they're literally crippled by this fear and this shame, God. And we bind it in the name of Jesus, God. We say that you've already paid the cost for those sins. You've already paid the cost for our guilt and our shame. And you nailed it to the cross, God. And you rose victorious on our behalf, God. And you love us so much. And so, God, we're going to give you, we're going to respond to you with our worship. So, God, whoever that is in this place, God, whoever needs to come do business with you, God, may they move in obedience, God. And will you, Father, in the name of Jesus, would you deliver them, God, like only you can. We love you. We praise you in the name of Jesus.
Amen.
Oh no.